0: Hello, and welcome to Agents of Nonprofit. My name is Alexander Lapa, but please call me Alex. And I'm here to talk to everyday superheroes helping nonprofits using technology. Today, I'm joined by guest Olga Woltman. Olga, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Alex. Thank you.
0: So for folks who are meeting you for the first time, could you talk about who you are and what you do?
1: Uh, Yes, thank you for asking. So my entire professional background is in the nonprofit sector, either working as a consultant or at nonprofits themselves. So I spent about seven years working at Special Olympics. I worked at the American Diabetes Association, um, have worked with all sorts of groups in cancer, cardiovascular space, etc. cetera. And uh, now I founded uh, Lemon Skies about three years ago to help nonprofits create campaigns, plan more strategically, message better. So that's what I've been doing for the past few years.
0: Lemon Skies is a very interesting name. We had a brief chat about it on LinkedIn previous to this, because lemon, when I think of lemons, the first thing I think about is lemonade, or the expression, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. But the more we talked, the more I was surprised about how actually there's a, a much more positive side to lemons. Can you talk about uh, how he came up with the name uh, Lemon Skies?
1: Um, Sure. And it wasn't quite as literal as that. But when I think of Lemons and Yellow, I wanted the company to reflect who I am as a person and trying to be positive and optimistic. Um, And Lemons sort of had that notion. But I really can't say that I put uh, that much of a deep symbolism into the name. Um, I just knew that I didn't want to be generic strategies or generic consulting. So I wanted to have a name that had personality. Uh, so that's really what I went with. And that was broad enough encompassing that if tomorrow I decide to to launch a, a lifestyle brand or something like that, Lemon Skies still works.
0: It's actually a really uh, cool um, visual representation. Like Lemon Skies, there's a lot you can do for branding. It, it, you mentioned in that conversation previously was that uh, lemons are very zesty. So there's a lot of elements that actually that I, the more I thought about it, the more I uh, was impressed by the name. So Awesome. Uh, how did you get started with nonprofits? What was the motivation? Like wh- where did you begin your nonprofit journey?
1: You know, I think some people really know exactly what they want to do when they grow up. And I was never one of those people. I came to Washington, DC as an undergrad for a semester, um, had an internship out here and was taking some courses. And I really just wanted to return to the city. I enjoyed the city quite a bit. And, you know, nonprofit space is a very natural transition. In Washington, D.C. area. So it was almost um, almost accidental like many communications fundraising professionals in the nonprofit space. I think there was a little bit of idealism of wanting to do something positive. But then as I started working in the space, I found that that was exactly my calling and that's exactly what I wanted to do. So that uh, that idealism was actually an insight that thankfully I followed.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that a few of my guests, they tend to fall into the nonprofit space. But once they do, it's so rewarding that they don't want to leave. Like it's they found their place, their niche. So that's great. So you mentioned you do strategy, you do a bit of content for nonprofits. What are some of the services that you offer today as part of Lemon Skies?
1: Uh, yes. And, you know, early on um, describing Lemon Sky's smart strategy and creative ideas to help good causes. And that really encapsulates what we do. Um, smart strategy, because creative ideas are only as good as their purpose. But smart strategy without creativity can be a little bit flat. So we help nonprofits uh, with their communications um, and fundraising, planning, execution, kind of every aspect of that. We're very heavy on the content. Uh, we're definitely is it left side of the brain? uh, That's the more creative. And that includes everything from message strategy to case for support to really just about any type of content that you can imagine from annual reports or impact statements for funders or fundraising appeals. So a lot of creative development and writing. And then we're also offering coaching and strategy sessions to smaller nonprofits. And the impetus for that was to try and support smaller groups in a way that they wouldn't be able to access otherwise.
0: Do you tend to gravitate toward larger nonprofits, smaller ones in between, or a mix?
1: I think it's a little bit of a mix. I think it's more, do we connect with the mission of organization? You know, it's incredible what you can do with the larger nonprofits, but it's also rewarding with the smaller nonprofits, you can make impact and very quickly in a way that you can't always in larger, more um, more established organizations. So, so it's really a mixture and combination.
0: One of the recurring themes on the podcast is about change management. And I imagine as you coming in, helping with the planning, execution, there's a lot of change management factors that are involved. How would you normally deal with that kind of stuff?
1: Well, I think change management, a lot of it has to do with empathy. And it's really understanding where is your client coming from and what matters to them. In my experience, people are rarely... Uh, resistant to things just to be difficult. Uh, so there's usually some sort of underlying motivation or some sort of underlying reasoning. So it's really just being empathetic and listening and being responsive to client needs and bringing everybody along. I think change management, the description goes, uh, it's about giving everybody a reason to get in the boat and row together. So so it's about engagement. It's not about you know winning or butting heads on a particular topic. It's about getting everybody's buy-in. And a lot of this and a lot of my work really boils down to relationships and connecting with humans at a human level.
0: That's a great expression, actually. Thank you for sharing that. So when you are tackling certain problems, I imagine it's a mixture of applying certain technology and maybe upgrading their technology and a certain side of process and then the strategy side of things. In the terms of the technology space, what problems can technology solve at a general level? And what problems do you think technology can't solve? again, at a general level?
1: You know, that's a really good question, Alex. Um, I think technology is a tool and the limits come not just from technology, but the strategy behind it and how it's being utilized. So certainly uh, resourcing can be a limitation, uh, whether it's financial resourcing or staff time to kind of put behind using technology. But, you know, I just really see uh, decisions need to be made based on what are you trying to achieve? And then how does technology support that journey? You know, I sort of see technology as allowing organizations to do something completely different and great and different, but it's also a way to free up your staff to focus on um, higher value tasks. So anytime you're leveraging technology to automate certain day-to-day activities, that frees up your staff time to focus on other higher touch, more important activities.
0: So if a nonprofit receives a certain grant size or a certain amount of money, and they know they need to invest in technology, what would be your first level recommendations?
1: Well, I think I'd want to understand uh, where are the shortcomings and gaps in their relative organizational importance and, and values. So I, I don't think there's one size fits all. It's really a question of what problem are you trying to solve? And you can only ad- assess that and determine what takes priority and precedence uh, by talking to a broad range of people within the organization. So, you know, of course, uh, fundraisers will have a different different answer than mission delivery, but it's really sort of taking a broader uh, view of what are the challenges and where do you want to prioritize uh, your efforts and which area and investing based on that.
0: And then in terms of CRM, because that's obviously my playground, do you find that's a because our different types of nonprofits. Do you find a CRM is applicable and useful in all different kinds of nonprofits, whether they're fundraising or mission-based? Or is it really on a case-by-case situation?
1: I, I think CRM as a as a foundation applies across the board. I can certainly imagine organizations where it's not the case, where if you're not interacting with um, external audiences, maybe that's not as relevant. But CRM, I would say, is is a great foundational layer. I think the question is, how fancy do you get with your CRM system and your CRM platform? And just making sure that the scale of what you're investing in is relevant to where you are as an organization.
0: So I need to ask the question, of course, do you have any favorite CRMs and why?
1: So I am. Far less technical than you are, so I don't have a favorite platform. Uh, but I think I would describe it as having a favorite philosophy. You know, silos are obviously not not a good idea. But I also don't love the idea of compromising on on functionalities in order to select everything under one roof. So lately, there's been. Um, I'm a fan of best of breed or hub and spoke type of approach, where you kind of have this foundational layer that connects tools and applications that really meet the needs of your various stakeholders across the organization, uh, and allow you to do what you need to do. And you know, Salesforce and Microsoft both obviously have extremely powerful platforms that can serve this foundational layer and connect all your um, all your data and all your pieces to flow together. And you know being commercial grade, they offer uh, nonprofits functionalities above and beyond what what we may have otherwise. So so I would say it's really more leaning into that philosophy of how do you avoid creating silos, but still manage to to leverage the best tools to meet your needs.
0: That's a great answer. Because I agree, um, and I've said this before, because I am most familiar with Salesforce. I know that it's not uh, the right tool for every single nonprofit. There are certain nonprofits where it's a good fit and sometimes it's not. So it's great to see that you kind of see that as well. And you have a more broad level of holistic perspective to figure out what piece goes where and how.
1: Yes. And I think, you know, tools are powerful, but highly customizable tools. They will do anything you need them to do. So it really comes down to how do you configure them? What is your aim and what are you trying to achieve? And then building to that. Uh, building to actually meet your needs rather than getting distracted by sparkly and exciting things.
0: <laughs> so, do you actually make recommendations about certain technologies or do you really stay at the content level, the strategy level? And then, just by nature of the conversations, you might lean toward one type of technology versus another. Or do you work with a partner who has, makes more technical recommendations? Where do you draw the line in terms of what you would recommend personally?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are far more um, knowledgeable and smarter people than I am in technology field that can make recommendations. I tend to stick with why are we doing what we're doing? What are we trying to achieve? Where strategically do we need to overcome certain gaps or certain challenges? And then from there, it's really about partnering up with technology professionals to convey the strategy to get towards that end goal. You know, I think any technology recommendation I would be making is more opinion-based and I would always want to have an expert to work with to kind of help that determination.
0: So what would an ideal client look like for you? Someone, for example, or an organization that has an idea of what they want to do, but they can't formulate a plan or something similar? Where would you find yourself the best suited to help?
1: You know, I think the most successful relationships are based on relationship. So, you know, it's not necessarily where organization is in their journey. It's not necessarily, you know, a particular type of project. It's really about relationship and trust that you build with your clients and building that together and partnering up to understand the needs, starting from the point of where somebody is meeting them where they are and really treating no matter how large or small an organization is. It's really starting from you know, while there are similarities between nonprofits and there are similarities and challenges that we all see, uh, it's really focusing on what's the right decision for that particular organization or that particular client. Um, So I think strong foundation of relationship is probably uh, my best client. That's sort of where we start. But in terms of uh, startup phase versus more established organizations, I mean, we've done all sorts of projects and engagements I, I can't say that one or the other is preferable. I tend to lean in more into social services, health, those types of topics quite a bit. But I would say it just really, you know, meeting clients where they are and moving along in the way that's right for them is that would be the best description of my best client.
0: Okay. And you also talk about doing a bit of marketing for nonprofits. Can you speak a bit about what kind of services or what kind of help you can offer for nonprofits towards marketing?
1: Yeah. you know, I think that, Early on, um, marketing and fundraising and communications were sort of split out at nonprofits. At this point, it's a continuum. It's really sort of an integrated um, whole. And in small organizations, oftentimes, the person who is doing fundraising and the person who is doing marketing sort of straddle the two areas. So I think where it gets a little bit interesting is uh, balancing out the needs. Because with marketing, you want to spotlight some of your wins and some of the positives. Uh, with fundraising, you always need to articulate the need and uh, where more resources are needed. So it's kind of striking that balance. But my formal background, my uh, my master's is actually in, in marketing uh, and marketing communication specifically. So, so it's looking at what's in place and coming up with concepts and ideas and uh, bringing them to life and looking at integrated and coordinated timing of campaigns and uh, identifying opportunities to sort of for marketing to elevate fundraising or vice versa. And, you know, planning out what channels, what audiences you have and going from there. So uh, as marketers, I think it's always keeping an eye on, it's not about what you personally like it's about what does data tell us? What insights do we have to approach things in the way that will resonate with our target audiences?
0: So in terms of marketing strategies, then um- not that i'm the most familiar with with all kinds of uh, different opportunities but the typical ones that i that i know of is something like seo sem social media uh, certain outreach programs you know email newsletters what do you find is the most important out of the ones that i mentioned or is it a combination of the of those and why
1: i think they're all interrelated and interdependent so i would struggle to say you know focus on organic optimization, but ignore, uh, social, you know, I, I just would not want to, to ever make that recommendation. Um, I think it's looking at the organization and some, some, uh, missions and some topics lend themselves to one over another. Um, so some of it will be dependent on the type of work organization is doing, but it's really, even if you choose to focus on, on one area over others, it needs to be a deliberate decision. It can be accidental because we have more expertise on this or just have traditionally done more of this. It really needs to be a deliberate decision, looking at your marketing uh, mix and prioritizing where you invest your time and resources.
0: Yeah, that's a good answer. Thank you for sharing. Any quick tips to improve fundraising? I know that's a very broad question, but I was hoping you would have just a couple of you know hints of uh, guidance to be able to allow um, certain nonprofits to help in their nonprofit, in their fundraising goals. Sorry.
1: I love fundraising. Um, so, I mean, I, I think a lot of times improving fundraising is by setting realistic expectations. So it's a little bit of a Goldilocks, not too high, not too low, um, but just really kind of taking a hard look at what you're doing, uh, what areas are resonating and, uh, you know, what type of fundraising makes sense for your organization. And not looking for a silver bullet, but just really having the discipline and planning and kind of tenacity to just sort of keep going and continue with the work. Uh, Learning from what you're seeing, even if somebody tells you, well, we don't really have any insights or we don't have any data usually that's not the case. Usually there are pockets of, you know, maybe it's web traffic, maybe it's a survey, maybe it's, you know, looking at the CRM system and seeing what insights you can identify. So learning from what you're seeing, or even having conversations with donors or, or supporters to understand uh, their perspective, I think can be extremely valuable. When you hear market research, it sounds big and expensive, but market research, all of these types of activities and all of that Thinking work really is marketing research in a way. Um, And then being the content and message strategy person, of course, message matters. And I think that's probably the single thing that across the board can be always can be tweaked and maybe somewhat improved. And just making sure that we're presenting the value proposition of the organization and the way we're presenting the ask and our case for support is both Done in such a way that resonates uh, with prospective donors, and frames it in the terms that make sense to an individual. I think message is probably a lot of times people get excited with you know visuals or graphics or you know again big sparkly things. But looking at sort of what's the hardcore message behind everything you do uh, will really unify a lot of your efforts.
0: Do you help uh, certain nonprofits with their messaging in the sense of I must imagine that part of messaging and, and building the proper message has to be on brand. So part of that is, is a certain branding exercise or a positioning exercise to figure out you know, how do we want to present ourselves and then giving certain you know, cues or guidelines and how to achieve that in that fundraising messaging.
1: Absolutely. it's We do that a lot, both as dedicated projects, but also as a part of any campaign uh, that we're developing if we're sitting down to make end-of-year plans, uh, it starts off with what is it that we're trying to say and trying to convey. Um, it, it always needs to stay within uh, within the brand and needs to be true to the organization and their their mission and their work. But it's really, it's about simplifying. It's sort of taking at a massive amount of information and massive amount of what's in place and pulling out at the threads of what problem are we trying to solve? How are we solving it? What is the need and what is the call to action? I mean, it really kind of it's that simple and it's that complex. Uh, and you know the way you present it like with with health organizations, for example, investing in investing in research to find better treatments or cures for a particular disease, you can talk about research and the problem being in terms of the disease itself or you can talk about research as lacking enough funding to explore, All promising ideas. So those are nuances and just really kind of thinking through how do we present this challenge to the donor. And then uh, we really try to help organizations we work with stay focused on the donor and, you know, sort of removing, it's not about the organization. Organization is just the vehicle for somebody to make a difference and make an impact and staying on message about why it's important, why it matters, how it makes a difference. And how donors investment is, uh, that's what makes it possible. That's what transforms. Any
0: tips toward, Because I think I saw a previous podcast or an episode of you talking with someone, talking about being able to move a donor to become more involved in the organization. So maybe moving from a one-time donor to a reoccurring donor, to maybe a planned giving donor, to maybe a, high, um, a major gift donor. Any recommendations on, on how to move a donor up that ladder, so to speak?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and again, it will vary depending on their motivation to get involved. Is it something that's personal? What is their entry point? But at a base level with powerful tools and technologies that we have uh, and CRM systems, looking at what are some of the components that can be automated so that we're engaging person and kind of bringing them up that ladder. And then, you know, what are some more high-touch activities that can really make a difference? Is it a handwritten card? Is it a phone call? Is of being invited to an event, um, so it, it's really thinking about as an industry thinking about donors as human beings and how they want to be treated and how they want to be engaged with. That's why kind of empathy is this common thread that we talk a lot about, and providing them with the type of support as they would expect from us. Um, I think technology, you know, created certain expectations, um, you know, with our with online shopping and things like that. We want to be seen. We want to be known. So it's really providing that white glove treatment uh, wherever possible and, and constantly reminding, you know, again, like in any relationship, continuing to remind donors that they're valued, they're appreciated, they're making a difference. So I think once you start thinking as a human and thinking of your donors as, as a relationship that you're trying to build and maintain, um, I think that really shifts your thinking in a very positive way
0: you mentioned they want to be seen the donors want to be seen so i know that one of the most important things for a, an employee is to get recognition for what they're doing do you find it's the same thing for donors that if you give them the recognition of saying you know thank you so much maybe um you know putting a name of the major donor on their website or some kind of recognition to be able to give them acknowledgement public acknowledgement for their donation do you find that helps a lot or any recommendations there
1: for some people absolutely for others, it really is not something they want or seek, uh and it's definitely not something they they desire to see. so it's really about understanding what it is that resonates with them and what is it that's important to them. I think part of being seen is understanding who they are, and you know it, it sort of is comes down to that three sixty view of the individual's relationship with the organization, so if they're a volunteer and a donor and uh, and also event participant and you have that information living in multiple sources you could have some blind spots that you're missing so being seen is understanding who they are there's nothing worse than going out to a donor who just wrote a big check uh, with a solicitation that points out hey we haven't heard from you in a while right so so it's connecting the dots and not making these missteps at a very base level but then you know it's trying to provide as customized and as one on one type of treatment to everyone that you encounter is possible within confines of resources and technology. Um, so, you know, the question you asked is a really good one, Alex, about recognition. In some cases, that will be extremely beneficial, but in other cases, it could actually be detrimental.
0: Hmm. You also mentioned about um, impact or knowing what the impact of their donation uh, does. So, maybe on the flip side of recognition, of at least informing the donor to say, you know, with this money, we've done X, Y, and Z. Uh, Any recommendations toward that? Or is that like a principle you generally agree with? Or would you make tweaks to it? Where would you go for that?
1: Yeah, the one tweak I uh, I would make, and it's a subtle but very important difference. It's not you helped us make a difference. You made the difference. And it's sort of stepping aside as an organization and putting the donor in kind of on that pedestal it is. It is. They're doing. They're the ones. They're transforming, and focusing on their accomplishments and their achievements. Um, I think is really important. Impact is vital. I mean, I think more and more people are focused on results and what my contribution or involvement helps to achieve, and less so on institutions. So, so absolutely. So it's presenting the the impact and it's combining it with emotional stories because numbers are great. They're very important. Uh, but number on its own doesn't convey the story quite in the same way as a story of a particular person or a place or animal, or any number of reasons that you can convey emotional impact.
0: I love it. Stepping aside and letting the donor take credit. that That is a great um, perspective.
1: Yeah, it's not about you. It's about them. Um, it's about you know, the last thing you'd want to do is make somebody feel like their $20 donation doesn't matter.
0: Mm, That's a great point. So obviously, COVID has changed the lives of many people in the last couple of years. How have you noticed it impacting fundraising?
1: You know, um, lately, there's been a few studies that have come out that there's fewer contributions, but they're larger contributions. And that sort of follows that trajectory of deepening and building the relationships. We can't just sort of churn them and burn them. It's really about staying connected and stewarding those that support us, not just constantly trying to to acquire. I mean, of course, COVID impacted events in a big way. So I think in that space, organizations are still reinventing, rethinking uh, what this looks like. So that will be interesting as they find their footing. Um, But I think also... And I'm not prepared to fully understand what that looks like. But I think COVID has reset for many of us uh, priorities. And I think that's what's been reflected in these more generous contributions. Um, I mean, it was sort of such a, such a profound global uh, event for all of us that I think it really reset what we care about and what's important and what's valued. So I think the increased contributions that we're seeing are a manifestation of that.
0: When you say increased contributions, do you mean more people contributing, uh, just more people contributing the same amount or fewer people contributing more?
1: Yeah. So the, the stats I've been seeing is fewer but larger gifts. So people are deepening their engagement. I think the pandemic has been very uneven in how it's impacted people. You know, Some lives have been um, largely unchanged uh, in terms of financial resources, et cetera, while others are really struggling. So I, I don't know what's driving the reduced number of contributions, but I do think as a society there's been this reset of what matters and what's important. And I think some of the increased giving in terms of giving amount is a manifestation of that.
0: Yeah, I see it in terms of the um the great resignation as they call it, and that people are reevaluating their lives, their their focus of their lives and how they spend their time. So it's great to see that certain people have understood that giving back to the community or to nonprofits or to a cause that they believe in actually makes them feel more grounded, more connected and more rewarding at the end.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And lately I'm hearing about that it's not really a great resignation, it's the great sabbatical. So that that'll be interesting to see how it shakes <laughs> out.
0: So you also work a lot with communication. Any recommendations or best practices for internal communication like within a nonprofit? how certain teams or departments within an organization can communicate with each other?
1: Well, it's the same principles apply. I mean, it's empathy. It's seeing humans for who they are and understanding their points of view. When I say empathy, it, I want to be very careful to uh, to delineate. It's not about sympathy. It's not about being extra nice. It's about understanding uh, somebody else's perspective. So that needs to really permeate every communication that we do. And clarity and transparency uh, certainly, you know, some offices are back in person, some aren't hybrid, some are, you know, still entirely virtual. So I think that's creating both opportunities, but also different types of challenges. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to fully appreciate just how this all will shake out because, you know, some people have, uh, have been prospering and thriving in the remote environment, uh, while others are really kind of benefit from being in person. So, but I think clarity, transparency, and just A little bit of kindness um, definitely is the kind of the filter that I would apply to that.
0: Would you apply the same kind of filters for external communication? So nonprofits who want to communicate more effectively outwards?
1: Um, I would. And certainly um, empathy and focusing on what matters to the world and being aligned with uh, kind of the larger context and not being tone deaf to, to sort of the overall environment, I think really matters. With external communications, more so than internal, internal, you know, you're, that's your job, you're sort of in this context, but with external, you need to get people to the point of caring. So what is it that matters to them? You know, what, what values are you trying to connect with and the emotional component of what we're doing? I mean, unless there's something that's truly um, groundbreaking, but even so it's explaining why it's important and why it matters. And keeping it, you know, Alex, one other thing that I always come back to is keeping it accessible because the age of um, super formal, super um, kind of corporate type of message uh, for nonprofits may or may not be the right one at this point. So it's just keeping it accessible and human.
0: I'm noticing that word too often, uh, genuine, being more genuine with your messaging, being more authentic rather than being more stiff and corporate. It's just being who you are. The, the the good, the bad, the ugly, the the beautiful, whatever element of your character is or your nonprofit is, just show it for what it is. And this way you're it's I think the messaging becomes clearer or it resonates more with the, the people you're trying to reach. Would you agree?
1: I, I absolutely agree. Genuine, authentic. Uh, you know, and that's definitely where we were I don't know if that's where we're headed leading up to the pandemic, but I think pandemic really kind of brought it into focus because suddenly, you know, you're in people's living rooms and you're hearing the pets and the kids and kind of the, the life and work has sort of crashed together. So there's definitely an element of that. Um, and more and more people want something that's relatable and, you know, it's not about sort of the, the polished and glossy it's about real impactful, um, that resonates. So hundred percent agree with you.
0: So what does the future look like for you all? Where would you see yourself, like, in the next couple of years? Where would you like to be in the next couple of years?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I love what I do. I really feel very fortunate to to have a job that I truly enjoy. So, I expect that I'll keep doing what I'm doing and working with nonprofits um, and communications and fundraising. You know, those continue. There's there's always a need around that. So, I expect I'll be continuing doing what I'm doing. Uh, And, you know, I'm starting to dabble a little more with uh, more creative projects and trying to define what that looks like. So we'll see where that leads me. I started, um, you know, one of my, I don't know if it's a passion, but um, I like connecting with people, like conversation we're having. Um, So a couple months ago, I launched uh, People of Substance series, which is really an attempt to bottle up conversations, great conversations that I have with uh, peers, clients, competitors, you know people in my neighborhood. So it's an attempt to really kind of take those conversations and share them. So I, I love doing that and I hope to continue in that venue as well.
0: Yeah, I've noticed you're very active on LinkedIn. You have quite a few um, live episodes where you're also interviewing various people within the industry. So it's great to see that you're, you're very involved um, and I, I totally feel the empathy that comes from you. So thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thanks for having me, Alex.
0: For the people who want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to do so?
1: Um, You can hit me up on LinkedIn, uh, Olga Waltman on LinkedIn, or you can visit website. It's lemon-skies.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Alex. All
0: right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Alexander Lapa, and I hope you do join me again next time for Agents of Nonprofit.